This episode is part of the series Know Your Candidates. Conversations with the candidates for the election of 2019 in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. Radio Plasma does not support or oppose any candidate for public office. This is a nonpartisan, independent media outlet dedicated to promoting a peace culture, embracing diversity, sharings of opinions and ideas, and ensure all voices are represented in our media. This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Welcome to our series, Know Your Candidates, conversations with the candidates to Holyoke City Council in the 2019 municipal election of November 5th. I am Johan Rashivega, and our guest today is Terry Murphy, candidate for Ward 2. Welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me. So we are here to talk about basically continuing your work as city councilor for Ward 2 meaning that after the process to get papers returned with the signatures for certification, there were two, but only were you the one who got certified. So that means we're going to have two more years of your work for Ward 2 and the City of Holyoke at City Council. And the first question that will be the most obvious is, How this process happened? What made you decide to say, I'm going to continue? Oh, okay, that's a great question. And, and as you know, when I got appointed to fill the unexpired term of Councilor Roman uh, in January, uh, my intention was not to continue. My intention was to try to give the people of Ward 2 a chance to have multiple candidates, uh, to offer their ideas, and to bring them to the voters and let the voters decide. However, I was encouraged by a lot of people to reconsider my thoughts, uh, and I still did not expect to do that, but I did also want to give people a choice, and it came down Friday, 10 days before the nomination process was to end. Nobody had taken out papers, and I said, I don't want a write-in candidacy to get 10 or 15 votes, and that person would then become the city council for the ward. Uh, I did encourage people that had applied before. I did encourage others to consider uh, a candidacy, and s several I've been meeting with that I think may very well do so in the next term, in 2021, uh, but we're not quite ready to do that now. So I'm hoping uh, that I can serve this last two years, do a, do a good job, and serve the residents of all the precincts of uh, Ward 2, including South Holyoke and Churchill, Springdale and Ingleside, and provide them with a representative that is at meetings, that is uh, asking questions and trying to find an, the best answers to serve not only the constituents that I have in my ward, but also the city as a whole. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm not the youngest guy in the world, but I have shown that I am dedicated to trying to do the job right. Uh, and I think I've demonstrated that. I hope I have. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'm hoping that the residents will vote for me again to 
even though I don't have an opponent, I'm asking them to consider checking my name on the ballot box and making sure that I do get uh, elected again. And then, you know, I will serve the next two years and, again, try to do the best job I can. And I think there's a lot of issues that I'm working on that are ongoing uh, and that I'm really trying to push to the forefront of city politics. It's good that you bring the point of inviting constituents to vote, to actually vote and let their constitutional right to be heard through the ballot <coughs> saying that that's their choice. Because particularly for War Two is one of the biggest concerns when we see election after election that the turnout on borders continues to be one of the lowest, if not the lowest. Unfortunately, that is true. I mean, I think one of the things that has to happen and one of the things that I'm trying to do is demonstrate to all of the voters award to all the residents award to whether they're voters or not voters, uh, whether they're senior citizens or kids, uh, that I'm trying to do things to help them uh, have a better neighborhood. But uh, the more they more they are involved, the more they share ideas, and it it, it is. Uh, a very good thing when I get phone calls or emails on a few occasions, letters, that people are asking me to do certain things. And then I'm able to do certain things to make their little part of the neighborhood better. And if we deal with each little part, obviously, overall, the big neighborhood picture gets better. Clearly, there's a, an opportunity for people to be more involved. And I encourage people, and I try to have meetings. I, you know, I, I'm trying to not do it right now because I don't want to look like I'm running a political campaign. Uh, but I want to have people giving me information. And I'll give you a few examples. I mean, I was very pleased to have a woman on Pine Street who had approached me back in February and March trying to get a sidewalk fixed. You know, and I believe me, I was prodding the DPW to help get it done. The city engineer helped me get it worked out. But it finally got done this past month. Obviously, she felt now she had a sidewalk that was much safer. She could walk on it and, you know, feel more comfortable. And there's those kind of issues. They're little things, but they make a difference to that person in that neighborhood and also in terms of safety. And I just had another one on South Bridge Street where a uh, sidewalk was brought up by the trees, and now they've at least made it so that it, you can go up now without having to go up a giant curb mm -hmm. so it's safer. It's, is it going to be – we're going to hope to get that – completely fixed come into springtime but right now the work that would need to be done could not be done and be settled uh, without wasting money in the winter so we're hoping that in the spring that will be for permanently fixed uh, obviously to me there's two major issues uh, one neighborhood redevelopment uh, we have way too many vacant lots we have way too many vacant lots that the city in many cases, which the city now owns, but which we are not maintaining and keeping clean. And I'm constantly, I just filed an order this past meeting on Tuesday where we want to develop, and I'm with the, board of, with the Board of Public Works, with the Board of Health, let's get a schedule when we are going to be maintaining these vacant lots. Not only are, and, and I will say, there are some citizens that have been going around and cleaning vacant lots, and I commend those citizens. But... The city's got an obligation to take care of what is the city's property. And not only is it creating an image where a voter or, or a constituent can say, I don't think people really care about me. Look what, look what I live next to. Look what, you know. And that, that is something that should not ever be a case. Every resident, every citizen should know that 
we are trying to make their lives, their neighborhood as safe and as and as quality uh, quality of life as possible. And when we leave things where the grass grows three feet high, where the, unfortunately there are uh, needles and, and things along that that are dangerous for kids, I mean, we are saying, well, we don't have time to take care of you. I want to make sure that we as a city say we do have, we do have time. We're going to figure out the time. We're going to figure out how we make that a priority to keep that done so we don't end up with three-foot high grass. We don't end up with fields, that playgrounds that have needles all over them, and that we can try to figure out a way to do that. So that's one issue that certainly in South Holyoke and Churchill are major issues because there are many vacant lots uh, to be cleaned. There are some in the Springdale Lingleside area, but not as many. Then the other issue is revitalization of the housing area. Uh, and as you know, South Holyoke has a, the housing authority has been uh, designated as the agency to de- redevelop South Holyoke uh, around Carlos Vega Park. Uh, we are looking at some diversity of housing, some diversity of income, uh, and start. And my hope is that next spring we'll see some construction on Clemente, at the corner of Hamilton and all the way down to Sargent, and then on southeast from Hamilton to Sargent, surrounding Carlos Vega Park. And then moving farther down after that on southeast uh, between Sargent and Adams, and then working our way down towards the canals. Is that a one year project? No. But we start, if we can start doing it, two things happen. Number one, we revitalize the neighborhood, we bring some additional uh, residents, some additional funding that may be able to support some of the businesses on Cabot Street and Main Street. So maybe we have more businesses coming out there, which then provides more jobs for the neighborhood. And then, obviously, the aspect we're getting tax revenue and a few other things, which helps the city do some other things, which I hope some of that money will be used to continue to revitalize South Oil. I also have just filed a bill to try to get – there are Section 108 monies from the federal government, which I've been told and we have to develop a process in how we can use it, but potentially could be used to help us revitalize other vacant lots in, in the Churchill area and some that in its Altoic area that are not part of the housing authority project so that we might be in a position where we're starting and it may be small again we may do three or four lots but if we do three or four lots and we improve those we've made life better for those people living directly from that and we've given reason for someone maybe a private investor to come in and maybe hey the city's fixing up their part let me let me invest here and I can sell housing or I can build a business and start to do things better so those are some things that I, I want to work on for those two neighborhoods. I'm still working on trying to improve or reduce the problem of speeding on Main Street, which goes all the way from 391 all the way down to Route 5 and right past Dean School. We, we are dealing with an ordinance, which I filed, which would create a school zone around Dean. And we will end, once that ordinance passes, and my hope is it's going to pass at our October meeting, and then in that month of October, the DPW will put up school zone traffic radar controls on both the south side and the north side of Dean School, one being down by St. Vincent Street and one being almost by the entrance of Marcot Ford, with the hope that, hey, we, can't, we may not slow the traffic down totally, but hopefully we can slow down a good percentage coming to Dean and then leaving Dean so that they're not quite going 60, 70 miles an hour. Maybe they're going 30, 40 and still be breaking the speed limit, but at least we're trying to bring it down. And that, to me, is a major safety issue on Main Street, both for the kids that go to school 
and we now have fifth, I believe, fifth, sixth, and seventh graders there. If I'm not, or maybe six, seven, ten, eight. I think it's fifth, sixth, and seventh now. I think they added a fifth grade, but I'm not positive. It could be six, seven, and eight, plus the high school. But again, we got kids coming across the street, and we got people going 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. So that's an area, I, and I know I've talked to some of the business people who they would be very happy if we could slow that traffic down. Marcot Ford has been very uh, positive about trying to slow traffic uh, near Dean School. And again, that's one of my hopes. So, and again, trying to maintain properties, trying to keep our properties up. Uh, so those are some of the goals that I'm working on for the neighborhoods and trying to make it that we keep looking forward with positive results and not, not looking, hanging our head and saying there's nothing we can do. Because I don't buy, there's nothing we can do. And certainly there are many, many things that we can see happening throughout the summer. Like getting back to the community spaces for public enjoyment, like uh, Bali Park Arena, like the basketball courtyard in Jim Jackson, Jackson Street. Courts, yeah. Also, I remember seeing the portable version of the radar speed in Main Street yep. uh, approaching Dean going yep. southbound. So, And I thank the police chief for putting that in. There. And that did, that did slow people down. People said they didn't, but I stood there a few times just to kind of see it, what the, and they, I would see 45 and then down to 30 or down to 35. So it, it does have an impact. It doesn't stop everybody, no, but it, it, is, it is a step in the right direction. This, these new radar school zones lights would be a major step in the right direction. Also, finally seeing the building on Cabot Street being uh, finally demolished, and now it's a completely clean area in hopes that it gets uh, redeveloped at some point. Could I just add a few things to what sure. you just said, if that's possible? You know, we need to keep our playgrounds fixed up. We also need to make sure that they're safe for kids. And there's a couple of other things that I've worked on with the law department, the police department, the fire department, the board of health, the building department. We've got some buildings where we have the most police incidents, the most fire incidents, and we need to take aggressive action in the city. And, and we've had a meeting with the Public Safety Committee chaired by uh, Councilor Dan Bresnahan, who we work to make sure that the city is going to be aggressive uh, attacking landlords that are not uh, policing their own properties. Who are, and, and so we're hopeful that in the next three, to, three weeks to six weeks, probably by October, that we may see some of those properties have to have a police presence so, so that if there's illegal activity going on, it's going to be cut back, hopefully dramatically, if not totally, Uh, and that those neighborhoods will be safer. I mean, one of my one of my concerns at Valley Arena was that there are buildings that are that are, that have major criminal activity in terms of police reports uh, right near Valley Arena, and we got to make that safer. And I've also been asked, and I want to also thank uh, Ed Case from Safe Neighborhood Initiative, who coordinated with me once we got the James Jackson courts re, 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 refurbished to have a basketball tournament there in in July. And then we also were able to work with, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going to forget the people's name, but the people that are very active in, in handball uh, that came in and did demonstration that same day. So there are, there are some positive things happening. And again, I want to make sure that we not only do it on those areas, but in every area. And again, Churchill, South Holyoke, I don't care if it's the Highlands or Springdale, every part of the city, eventually we want to have quality of life and having good playgrounds and having kids that can play and feel safe and have parents feeling safe to have their kids go, those are all crucial issues. And, yes, I'm going to support when we can fix things up. 
we're gonna and I've been active and we are gonna have a domino tournament at Vega Park and I just was told it's gonna be October twelfth. I've been pu pushing the parks once the once the uh, Vega Park domino section got completed to have it and I've been told that there will be a tournament there uh, October twelfth. I'm pretty sure that's the date I've been told. So so I'm happy to see that's happening. Uh, so, you know, I want to bring positive activities in, into my ward. I want, I want people to feel comfortable going into my ward. And that's one of the reasons that we got to fix up the vacant lots. We got to clean them up and we got to have constructive activities going on there. And, you know, just Churchill, I mean, I had a meeting with One Holyoke, Housing Authority, Valley Opportunity Council, Nueva Esperanza, and others to try to think about, all right, how can we do things to fill up some of these vacant lots and start doing things. I will say the housing authority bought a property on Chestnut and Jackson, which is a big vacant lot that was a building that burned down 30 years ago. They are, my understanding is they are now working with uh, Habitat for Humanity, potentially to build two houses on that corner lot facing into the park. So, which the two things, two, two positive things there. That would be people that have another view of the park where there's some activities that are going on that we are not wanting to have go on. Uh, and also would be giving people a nice chance to have a new home. Uh, so that's, that's happening. I'm also looking to do some things on Maple and Jackson where there was another building got taken down under Mayor Sullivan. It's been a vacant lot since, and I'm hoping that we can do some things there. So again, I'm, we need to reinvest we need to do some good things, but we need to do them affordably. And we need to do them with the idea that one development could lead to the next development, could lead to the next development, and we keep improving the neighborhoods. Eventually, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a young guy, but hopefully I got quite a few more years left that I can see, wow, some of the work I did really helped out in revitalizing those neighborhoods and make them safer. And I don't want any kid. I had a kid at one of my meetings. I had a neighborhood meeting, and I'm going to say that was in June, and a 10-year-old kid stood up and told me, sir, you're very polite, sir, and he was in front of 35 people. So can you, can you make this so that it's safer for me? I mean, I wish I could just say, yes, I can, but I certainly am going to do all I can to try to make it as safe for that kid as possible and every other kid. So following up basically on this, actually mentioning that same wording about being aggressive on some of the landlords. What is the status with the building on Hamilton and Main that currently has that block of Hamilton yeah. completely inaccessible for yes. uh, pedestrian and vehicles? Unfortunately, there's two things. And I actually have an order that I filed and it's gone to committee and we're trying to create an ordinance which would find that landlord for every week that goes by that he does not get that building fixed so the fencing can come down so that we can reopen Hamilton Street and Main Street. And there's, and there's one or two other buildings like that. So we're trying to say if a landlord, I, I'm going to give him a reasonable time. Obviously, that was a natural disaster with the wind and blowing the roof off, but it's now seven months later. And you have now deprived people of the convenience, if nothing else, but also just the access of being comfortable in their home or in their business that they're going to be able to get as much as possible. So we've, I filed an order which would, if it passes, would create a fine for those landlords. And I'm saying a fine has got to be on a weekly basis. So 
you know, the first week, I'm, maybe it's $100. The second week, maybe $500. The third week, maybe $1,000. So that they're going to be an incentive for them to fix it up. It's my understanding that that landlord has been trying to sell it. And that's fine that he's trying to sell it. But in the interim, that property should not be able to stop other people from being able to have the conveniences and be having to struggle with the inconveniences that that building is providing. So I'm, I am working on that. Again, passing the laws is not something that just happens. It is in the Ordinance Committee, and my hope is that in the next month or so we'll have something out of the ordinance, creating a fine, and then at that point, hopefully, There'll probably be a 30-day window where they can, but that after that, the building commissioner hopefully will be able to find them for not fixing up their property and and basically blocking the street. Uh, so I am working on that, uh, and and again, it's an area to me that just I'm willing to give them the the, the benefit of the doubt, but at a certain point, you got to get it done. And I'm you know I don't know if it's going to be one month or two months that they got to before you start to be fine. I'll give them time to get a contractor and things along that lines. But at some point, and this is way too long, uh, you know, that's that's depriving people of, of the access of the street, the driving the street, the parking on the street, the ability to easily get to Main Street. All those kind of things are being deprived. And actually, I see it even as a safety issue because when we think about Cabot Street as one of the main entrances for the city, And if an event of a traffic jam or an emergency where you have the fire trucks doing their work and then you need to take alternate routes, then Hamilton Street becomes that immediate, well, it was that immediate option. And now, by not being able to get to Main Street, then you have to do another detour so that way you can use Sargent. Imagine if an emergency requires the people living in South Holyoke to all of a sudden leave the area. Yeah. That blockage is just a big hazard and such a big irresponsibility and negligence. And, and actually, yes, I'm going to say it. It's a criminal irresponsibility of the people who should be taking the responsibility of fixing it and doing what it should have done in the first place. Well, obviously, if I, I won't. I'm not serious. I'm going to go to criminal, but it's certainly a civil situation where you've got an obligation to your, to your neighbors, and and you do not have a right to be violating their access to various things, whether it be streets or driving or walking. So I I am working on it. Uh, again, I my hope is that in the next month we'll have something in front of city council that I hope will be passed, and then after that a month or two later that the fines will start being generated and hopefully the landlords will say, I don't want to pay the fines, so I'm going to fix the property. And I, my understanding on that one, it's the roof that needs to be fixed. And if that can be fixed, then the whole thing can be, and I, I don't know how much that roof would cost, but my guess is if we make fines significant enough, they're going to say it's easier to fix the roof and sell the property than not fix the roof, be fined, and then try to sell the property. So that's, that's the whole, I want to create action. Um, both for the fact that it's not a positive thing for the city the way it is, and it's certainly not a positive thing for the people in the neighborhood or the businesses in the neighborhood. So at this point, and after that you mentioned that you are not trying to give the impression of doing a political campaign, but at the same time to continue doing the work as city councilor for Ward 2, what are your plans, what are the priorities that you have right now in mind? Well, again, I th the, truth, the two major things for me 
our revitalization of South Holyoke, I'm really pushing that. I'm trying to get the motivation. I'm trying to find additional funds to get that going. I'm working with the people in the Housing Authority and other people in the neighborhood to try to get that going. I also want to see that we clean up those vacant lots. I mean, those two, those two issues are crucial to Churchill and South Holyoke. They, Churchill and South Holyoke cannot be the neighborhoods that they should be until we take care of those kind of things. If we take care of those kind of things, I think that's also going to help us in terms of reducing crime, and it's going to make the neighborhood safer. Obviously, I'm also going to make sure that we maintain our parks, we maintain our, our playgrounds. I talked about Springdale and the traffic on Main Street. I also want to see that you know Springdale was Springdale Park was going to be uh, considered one of the projects this past year, and then somehow it appears that it got left off the list, even though everybody thought it was going to be on the list. So I filed an order to get that back on the agenda. So my hope is that next spring or summer, we'll start to see some improvements there. I know some of the, I've had calls about the swings being broken. You know, I mean, there are little things, but those things are a quality issue. And again, if, if I've got kids that want to use the swings, I know, you know, I will say I congratulate uh, John Tuhig from the Parks Department or DPW, but really the Parks Department, who fixed the spring, the uh, sprinkler system at, Spring, at Springdale, which was down in the beginning, and he had to do some major work from what I understand. There had been some vandalism. And again, we need, we need to have the residents, when they see that, they got to help us because they're hurting you. You know, they're hurting your kid when they try to do some damage for whatever, re whatever and the only reason I can say is there's some stupid reason, to violate something just for the sake of violating it and then depriving your kid. So we, we need to make sure that if you see that, you got to help us stop it. And, you know, I'm not trying to put those people away. I'm just trying to make sure they understand there's a responsibility that we work together. And if we work together, the community is going to be a whole lot better off. So those are two things. Again, I want to make sure those, those traffic things go at uh, Main Street by Dean. I want those traffic lights there. I'm trying to also see some of the roads get paved. South Hollywood's got a little difficult issue with that in the next year because there's a major sewer project going on in South Hollywood, which is going to be digging up some of the streets and canals. Once that, ha once that is done, my hope is that next summer, almost every sidewalk and every street in South Hollywood will be getting repaved. Unfortunately, for the next nine months, we have to go through the hassles. Uh, hopefully, if there's potholes, we're going to try to take care of those, but if it's just a uneven surface that's probably not going to get changed because they're going to have to dig it up and it doesn't make sense the other thing and this is a little thing and the quality of life but i've had people that have brought it up to me and i've looked and they were absolutely correct and i filed an order to deal with this we we like to get trees on street belts to try to provide shade for people but in doing so, those two sidewalks I talked to you about on Pine Street and South Bridge Street, both related to trees digging up the sidewalk. So what, I'm, what I, we are looking at now, and I'm working with the city engineer, and I think I'll probably work with the DPW and forestry department. What kind of trees can we plant that are not going to, at some point, push the sidewalk to an angle where people can't walk on it? So we need to be smarter on what we put there. In the past, I mean, I, I, and I, to be honest, I never thought about it when it was first done, Hey, they're putting trees. That's good. But if the trees are going to ruin the sidewalk, then we're ending up kind of, well, right, we got to pay for the sidewalk, or do we take the tree down? So we need that whatever we do in the future, and I'm hoping this is the way it's going to be, when we start to replant things, we're planting trees that are not going to do damage to the sidewalks and are going to provide shade. So we do two things there. We keep quality sidewalks, and we get shade. And, you know, those are little things. 
uh, that make a difference. Uh, but obviously, it saves the city money, and the people who live in there get a shade for their house or their resident, and they get a sidewalk that is safe to walk on. I mean, it's common sense, but obviously, in the past, we've been let's plant things we want to get tree, and then we go from there. So, and let me just say, there's one other issue that I'm, and I know the schools are a big issue, but one issue I want to talk about the schools is is absences, and I've. I filed a bill, and I'm going to be, I've been invited, I'm a city councilor, but I've been invited to be part of a task force from the school com- school department, I'm not sure the school committee, but school department, to try to figure out a way that we can have most kids coming to school every day. I mean, there are some, I mean, we, we are depriving kids when we do not get them to school. Uh, and whether it, if, it, if there's some, something that's going on that's preventing it, we need to figure out what it is and then try to solve it. Now, I will give you Lawrence School, which is an older building. It has K through 3, but I've been told that their principal, Kathy Horahan, has done a great job working with parents to make sure their kids show up for school. Now, I don't know what her secret is, but it would seem to me that it would be a good idea for every school to be looking at what she's done that's been successful. Her absent rate, I believe, is like 15 or 16 percent when the citywide absent rate is 30 something percent. So she's got that reduced by half. And and I would still like to see it reduced more. But we need to get kids in school. And I know there's a debate on whether we need new schools and all that. And certainly I I wouldn't be opposed to new schools. I wish it was a different funding source than what we're talking about, because every time it comes out and I've made my point, I I have two things I've done in terms of that, but let me finish the absentee thing before I get there because I think the absentee thing is the most important thing. If a kid goes to school every day and, number one, they don't fall behind, and I'm going to use I – have, I have a godson that had some problems when he was in school, and he's doing very well now. He's now an adult and doing very well. But when he was in school, when he, he would miss school, and he got more and more frustrated because he was not – he missed a couple of classes, and then he was behind – he didn't feel like he understood what was going on now. He got more frustrated, fall farther behind. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we get kids to come to school to stay, and we focus on making sure they stay up to, up, to, up to class in terms of what they're learning, and if not, make sure we provide them the services they need to do that and give them confidence so that they're coming to school. I'm excited about learning. I'm excited about making new friends. I respect my teacher. I, I, all those people that are out there trying to help me, if we can do that and get kids to school, a lot of the other problems that we have when they become teenagers or older are going to be far less because they're going to have a better self-image. They're going to know that they've got ability to do anything they want to do. And so absenteeism to me is, is the number one problem we have in the school system. Uh, and I'm, and I, like I said, I filed an order, and people said, "Well, you're not on the school committee. You don't." But I'm a representative of my constituents, and if my constituents aren't going to school, I need to know why, and I need to figure out a way to get them to go. And again, if we do that, if we're successful at doing that, then we're going to have student grades go go higher. We're going to have less absent and 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 vagrant problems. We're going to have eventually less criminal problems. We're going to have more and more kids being positive about what they're doing and positive about their future. So that's one thing I, I am working on, and I, I have agreed to serve on that committee, even though I'm not, I don't have anything directly to do with the schools. To me, that's, that's crucial. 
and and I, and I don't. I know there are some legitimate excuses, but no legitimate excuse can be that you're absent thirty percent of the time. There's nothing that I can say that would be constructive to that. And if there is, then we got to figure out what do we do with that child because that child's getting so far behind. When they do come back, they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be causing problems, and then they're going to be either dropping out or just not being able to handle what's there. So those are, you know, again, to me, I, I've always been, I, I've done a lot of coaching in my life. You know, I run my baseball league every summer, and, I, and I, I talk to the kids. And, I mean, if they're given the opportunity, if they're given the concept that you have responsibility yourself, most of those kids, even the youngest ones, accept that they got certain things that they're going to do as long as you show them that you care about them. And so it's a combination of things. And I want them to know I care about them. I may not always agree with what's going on, and I certainly sometimes don't agree when I see a young person disrespecting a, a person that's trying to help them. So, I mean, but I want them to know that's not right. You know, we need, we need to respect each other. I respect you. I care about you. I want you to respect me and care about me. And we can work together, and, and I can help you be better, and you can make me feel better that I'm helping you. So it's a combination. So uh, that's a crucial issue to me. Uh, along with the economic development and the housing revitalization, which are good. Uh, and I'll go one more thing if I can. I'm sorry I'm sure. talking so much. But <laughs> you get me excited. <laughs> uh, you know, I've also worked with, with marijuana industries coming in, and I've worked with them to try to – I worked on cultivation on Main Street, and we've, we've cut the zone from the school down to 200 feet. I didn't do that because – and I only did it for cultivation – because I've been told that there are potentially 50 to 100 jobs. There's, there's two places on Main Street, one where the old Hoyle Machine Shop Company was and one between Adams and Jackson Street that look like they're going to have some cultivation businesses coming in there with the idea of two things. Number one, they want to hire residents of the ward who don't necessarily have to drive to work. So there's two positive things there. And again, also as part of the education for those young kids. Because when they see their father or mother going to work and they see that they're working hard and trying to provide for them, that's an incentive for them both to respect their father and mother, but also to be in a position where they can provide some of the things that that kid needs. So it's a, it's a balancing act. But I, and, I, and I've, been, I've had a good rapport with the, the cultivation industries and the uh, cannabis industries that I've talked to. There's quite a few that are coming into the South Holyoke area. And I want to work with them to make sure that they do it the right way, that they provide good jobs, that they provide good benefits, and also that they are constructive members of our community. And I think so far, the, all that I've talked to appear that that's going to be. So, you know, while I, I'm not a cannabis man myself, and I don't expect I'm ever going to be, that reality is that they're allowed, and I want to make sure that we get as much uh, economic benefit from it, both in terms of jobs and in terms of taxes, and again, community involvement because they can—they're doing well. They've got a reason to be involved, and so hopefully that'll happen. Now let me get into the school issue because I know, and I have this is something I've—you know—I was in my committee. It was in the Charter and Rules Committee, which I chaired in terms <laughs> of whether we're building two schools. And I legitimately have my doubts that two schools is the right answer, but I sincerely have doubts that we can afford to build two schools based on the formula that the state has given us. If the state were to provide what I think they should provide, I think we could probably do it without a debt exclusion. And if the state were providing that, we would end up having to come up with about 25 or $26 million out of, our, out of our regular city budget, which 
long term means that we're coming out at we're adding about one point three or one point four million dollars to the city budget, not additional taxes, and that to me is the key. I, I said it when I voted. I voted to put it on the ballot, but I did say I can't vote for the bond unless certain things happen. And one of those is that we need a commitment that it's not going to all be a debt exclusion, uh, that it's not going to be $3.7 million every year for 30 years additional taxes. Uh, and, again, if we could provide 25, 25 of the 59 or 29 of the $59 million within our city budget, as paying off that bond within our regular city budget without a debt exclusion, then we're reducing that tax burden by almost 50%. The second part of that is the schools are saving almost a million dollars a year. Well, they're actually saving $4 million a year. At least that's the estimate. But I've been told they could potentially commit to $1 million a year. And what I've asked for is the mayor, the receiver, and the law department to put a legal contract together which would indicate that if the debt exclusion passes and if the city council votes for the bond, that $1 million a year for 30 years would come from the school to help pay off that bond, which would reduce the additional tax burden not qu about 20, 28%. So if you take that plus the idea that we're going to pay more out of the city budget, the debt exclusion could be instead of a 7% tax increase, maybe a 2.5% tax increase. Now I could feel like we could afford it. I would also say, however, and, and this is one of my, and I did file a bill to just do it to a, a school on Chestnut Street. <laughs> and that I was told by the state that they would not allow that. But it's interesting to me because if that happened, our, our students would not be displaced for the next three years. However, if we build two schools, we don't know where students are going for the next three years. And to me, that's it. You're telling me you want me to do this, but you don't know where you're going to put people or how much it's going to cost to put people there. That's a disservice to those kids to me. And you're also taking kids who are not going to get any of the benefit of the new school and forcing them to be transient from one building to another, depending on where they're coming from or where they're going. Obviously, the kids from Peck would be moving. The other kids in other schools would be moving. So, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I ha Again, I have my reservations. I also would say I visited... Veritas Prep, which is at Peck, mm -hmm. which is a contracted charter school now that's working with the school with with the receiver, and I was very impressed. And my gut is they got a three year contract. My gut is that they're going to be continuing on. Well, they already seem to be doing pretty well at Peck. So, assuming they're going to go to five hundred students, why would I not just leave them? If they can handle Peck and and teach kids well, and get good results. I'm somewhat inclined to leave them doing that. Um, but, again, that's, that's an issue. But right now my biggest concern is financially. I mean, I, people say that's not going to happen. We wouldn't lose any businesses. But I, based on the conversations I've had, especially with some small businesses that are just so-so right now, I think some of them would, would say I can go somewhere else and potentially get as much, if not more, business and pay less to do that. Uh, and if we start to do that, then the additional tax burden becomes higher. Uh, so it's a, it's a balancing act. I, I respect those that are advocating for it, and I'm not advocating against it. I'm just advocating that we fund it the right way. And to me, right now, a full debt exclusion is not the right way. And definitely, this is a conversation that needs to have follow-ups and ways to exchange points of view from 
folks who are in favor, folks who are against, their reasons to stand in that position and at the same time trying to understand the other side. Because unfortunately, I feel this polarization of opinions has become a, a war of undeceivedness that is just hurting our community. Instead of figuring out a way to improve the need for a better school and school not only as a facility but as a system because it's all about providing a good education for the children in Holyoke. Well, yeah, I'm, for two things. Number one, I'm wholeheartedly in agreement that it, is, it has been a divisive issue. And I said that when I had my first committee meeting uh, at Charter and Rules, I said one of my major concerns here is that this is the kind of issue that divides a community and not unites a community. And if we end up and it's 51 to 49 percent, uh, one way or the other, the other group is going to be pretty not happy. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, again, I don't think that's the way we, we should be doing things. I don't, think, I don't think we planned for this the way we should have. I mean, I know there are people telling me they've met for four years and they've been doing it, but when you don't figure out how you're paying for it without creating this financial tug of war in the community, and it's not just a financial, unfortunately, it's also uh, emotional tug of war in the community. Um, and I, I think there are better ways to do it. And again, I think if we started planning for it ahead of time, I mean, I've said a long time ago that the church, the Chestnut Street lot's got to either be, you got to do something. It's been there for 20 years like that. Uh, so, you know, but if not that, then let's put some housing. Because I had already advocated let's put housing there before I heard about this plan. But you're right. I mean, we've got a situation now where it's if you're against it, you're against the kids. And I, don't th and I, I certainly do not think myself against the kids. Uh, if you're favor in favor of it, you're going to overburden the taxpayers. And I don't think that's the, the goal of the people there either. So to me, I, 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 my, my thought was that there would be a compromise where we could afford it. We could build one school. And, and I, let me also say, I know the, the Massachusetts School Building Authority has said, if you don't do this, you're not going to get the money. I, it would be pretty sad. First of all, I, it's almost like it's blackmail. You either do this or we're out of here. Where, where's the concern for the kids, if that's the case? I mean, if you're telling me if you don't do all of it, you're not getting any of it, but we care about your kids, that doesn't sound like that's the, what I'm hearing. Uh, and, and that's discouraging. I mean, I would think if this did not pass or if we did not pass the bond, that they would come back and say, okay, what can you afford? We believe you need schools or a school. We believe you need something. We need improvements. What can you afford and then let's, let us help you. That's where they should be, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. and, and not putting Holyoke in a position where we're tearing the community apart, those for, those against, and not doing it uh, with camaraderie, but doing it, uh, accusing the other party of being wrong, uh, and not for the right reasons. Uh, and and that, that, that to me is a disservice. I can't believe that our state representative and state senator and others wouldn't tell the Massachusetts School Building Authority, look, they didn't pass that, but we got to get something here. So what can we do? And if it's one school and it's at Chestnut Street, uh, and we and we move other kids from Peck, whatever the case might be, uh, you know, there are things we can do. But you are correct. It and people tell me, well, we're going to have a more modern classroom. No question about that. But you're telling me that the modern classroom can only be by building a building. I'm thinking a modern classroom is the equipment. It's the teachers. 
It's the ability for those teachers to have the respect of the students. All those kind of things make for education. It is, a building is nice, but a building without teachers that are doing the job, without people that care, without students that are held accountable, uh, without getting parent involvement, those are all kind of things that make the building the best that it can be. I mean, you can have a, you know, you can go to Fenway Park, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a great baseball player. You know, if you can't hit, you can't hit. But and the same thing in school. If we can have the greatest schools, but if we don't get kids coming to school, if we don't get, if we don't have that foundation, if we don't provide the tools, and I think, you know, one of the other things I said when I filed the one school bill was, let's, there was, I think, 1.5 or 1.6 million dollars in each for technology. Well, why can't I provide that at Peck? If I'm only building at Chesterfield, why can't I provide that technology and spend that money at Peck and upgrade their technology so everybody's on the same page technology-wise? They're just in a different classroom building. Uh, so, I mean, there are there are concerns, and I and I know there are people that disagree with me, and and I respect their opinion, and I know they're they're adamant and they, they're concerned about their kids, and I I, I certainly appreciate that. But again, we got to balance it. How, how do we improve education and still live within the financial parameters of this community. And that's a tough balancing act. I mean, I know there's some elderly people, and I'm, I am elderly, <laughs> but there are some elderly people who have more harsh financial concerns than I have. There are some small businesses that have financial concerns more than I have. So what's the balance? And, and again, if, if we turn this down, I, I can't believe if we came back to the state and said, look, how about we're going to build one mid-side school at, and we need... We, you give us $40 million and we can spend $25 million and do it within the city budget, that if we do that in two or three years, we can't do the same thing if we need another one or, or another elementary school or whatever the case might be. You know, we, we, we've got to figure out a way to do better. And, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not against building new schools, but I'm not sure that's the total answer. So definitely this is a conversation that needs to have follow-ups and thinking always your – disposition to be always available to talk and have these conversations uh, in the past we have had you, you coming to report on what has been going on at city council so i hope that we can have an opportunity before the election day on november 5th to possibly gather with some more people and talk more in depth about particularly this this issue with the schools which i know is, is one of the the hot topics right now right. in the city But certainly, uh, this is a perfect way to communicate with the community in the city, and not only Ward 2, the whole city, about what's going on and what is important to talk about. Sometimes we see that the public comment opportunity at city council sessions allows for constituents to express their concerns. But it's limited to a very minimal amount of time. A minute or two, yes. And also for people to actually be present at the city council chambers during the time that sometimes it's difficult for people to get there for different reasons. So I really appreciate you being always available for us to do this type of conversations through the microphones and hopefully allowing this to continue happening so that way we can have more voices included in this conversation and having possibly the involvement of more members of the community. 
even I, I would love to see the opportunity of having conversations possibly with landlords, with people in the different businesses and, and, and organizations in War II and the city in general, and of course to talk about the schools. So that way we can listen to each other and figure out those middle grounds we need to find. If I can just let you know, I just prior to here, I was at a meeting with landlords and they, we are trying to do uh, this primarily in the Churchill area, but I, to me, it's, it's any landlords that we can get involved. The more landlords involved trying to figure out how do they make their buildings safer? How do they make their buildings cleaner? How do they make their life of their tenants better? And working with community, working with the police, working with other agencies. So we just met as the first meeting, and we also had a state police trooper there who's trying to, they have a C3 program in Springfield, which has been successful in the north end and has been expanded. We're looking to see if we can do some things like that. Because, again, if you can't feel safe in your neighborhood or if you're not able to let your kid go out and play, those are things that should never, ever happen. And, obviously, they do happen. So we need to find ways. And I will say I was very impressed. I think there were maybe eight or nine different landlords at that meeting covering a variety of, of properties. Uh, and they were offering uh, their thoughts on how they could do certain things and, and listening to the state trooper and the detective that was there from the Hoyo Police Department on what they can and can't do, uh, working with sharing ideas from the landlord's perspective on what's worked well for that landlord. And, oh, I could have done that too. Maybe I can call you up and see how you did that. And so there's, there is that activity going on uh, and trying to get more people involved on the positive side so that we can change this around. But it is, you're, you're right. I mean, the more people we can get involved, the more people that can share their ideas. And let me emphasize one of the, and I hope I've done it, and I, I think I have, but I hope I have. And if I haven't, someone please tell me I haven't because I would appreciate that knowledge. I've tried to respect uh, the opinions that have been presented regardless of the presenter. You know, everybody can have a different perspective, but that doesn't mean the motives of that perspective are wrong. It's just that if that person has a different view of what we need to do at this particular time. Unfortunately, in the country, we've come to the point where if you don't agree with me, it's not that you're wrong, it's that you're evil or you've got bad intentions, and, and that's not necessarily the case. We can have differences of opinion, and if we're going to be the community that I hope we will become, we have to be able to respect each other's differences and treat each other with that respect and not think that because I disagree with you, I'm a bad person. And I hope, and I, I do think I have, I've tried to respect my colleagues. Whether I agree with them or not, I respect their opinion. I try to re take each issue not based on who issued the proposal, but on the merits of the proposal. And I think that's what we need to do as a community. And uh, each of us has different assets, abilities that we can share. Uh, and some of us, you know, need to have more assistance, some less assistance. But if we all work together, you know, we can do a, a much better job. I mean, one of the things, when I do my summer baseball league and I see these kids and I see what, what, what they do and how they act when they are clearly understanding there are people giving their time to help them, uh, if we did that as a community, we'd have one heck of a great community. And we do have a lot of great people. So I, and, and from all walks of life, in all sections of the city. So we're going to disagree, but let's respectfully disagree. And then when that issue is over, let's go and work together on the next issue. And then let's go work at the next issue after that. Because if we do that, we got a chance. If we don't do that, 
we're going to be fighting each other and pulling each other's hair out and no one's going to win. Councillor Murphy, thank you so much for for all this insight about the different topics happening in the city and for your commitment to continue working with City Council uh, for War 2. It's proof that there are still many things to do, that you are willing to continue doing that work. And also at the same time, I guess this gives us two more years to possibly identify those potential new leaders to take over and possibly being mentored by your knowledge, your experience, and your wisdom. And I've had a few that have suggested that, you know, and I've given them some suggestions as to how you can get more experience at City Hall, appointments that you can make, you get a little bit more knowledge there, you get more comfortable. 1973, I was appointed to the Community Development Advisory Council. That was my first experience within city government It did help build confidence, and, not that, and I was a pretty shy person, People, which is many people tell you that's very hard to believe, but I, I hardly ever, people in high school tell me that were in my high school class, they, I never heard you talk in high school, which is true, I was very quiet. Uh, and in my own personality, that's still the way I am, but you know, I've gotten out there, I felt comfortable, and the more you do, and you're willing to share your ideas, even if your idea is rejected, You're willing to share because you think that's a good idea. And I encourage people, and I, I you know, I certainly can't do this forever. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky I'm healthy. I got a lot of energy, and, and I'm enthused about what I do. But, you know, I want other people, to, and I would love to see, you know, four or five, six people running for that op, which would then also increase the number of people that are voting because each of them might have a different constituency block, or an issue block that might get involved that would get more and more people to the polls. And ultimately, that, that works. And I will tell you, one of the other things that if people are not asked to vote, they don't vote. When people are approached and recognized that you're genuinely interested in them, and I've been, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate to have people see me. You know, I don't speak Spanish, and, and that certainly, but, but I speak human. I speak concern. I speak, uh, I care about you from my heart. And I guess that comes out because I've heard that from quite a few people. And, you know, that's, that's what we all need. I mean, we all have one common language. We breathe the same way. We think the same. We might think different thoughts, but the same brain waves go through. Uh, so if we can all do that together, hey, we're not done yet. And we're going to do the best I can. So I hope, I ask for their vote. You know, I'm, I'm not assuming that, They're going to vote for me. I am asking for your vote. I, I will pledge to you that I will do my very best. I will try to attend as many meetings as I can. I think, other than my baseball league, where I missed uh, two meetings because of my baseball league and one meeting because I was on vacation when they called a special meeting. Uh, other than that, I've been at every full council meeting and every committee meeting, and that's my intention. If there's a meeting going on, my intention is to be there to listen to learn and to offer my opinion when I think my opinion should make a difference. And that's what I pledge to the residents of Ward 2, and I do ask them for their vote. And I thank you for the time, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. This is our conversation with Terry Murphy, city councilor for Ward 2. And preliminary election, in this case, this is for Ward 3 only, is happening on September 24th. The City of Holyoke municipal election is November 5th, and the last day to register to vote is October 16th. For more information on registering to vote, please visit holyoke.org or the City Clerk's Office at Holyoke City Hall. 
Councillor Murphy, thank you so much. Thank you. With this, we conclude our conversation uh, of our series, Know Your Candidates, here on Radio Plasma. This session has been recorded in the New England Media Lab studio inside the Gateway City Arts in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>